Good morning, my friends. Welcome to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women and addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. And I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012 from sex addiction. And I'm super grateful to be back with you today for another episode from my car. So just uh, because I know some of you are concerned about my personal safety, which I appreciate. So when I do these episodes from my car, um, I have a headset that I wear that's connected to my phone. So I've got, I can have both hands on the wheel and uh, I am not like trying to hold something and drive at the same time. I just get to talk and I'm really grateful for that opportunity to share with you some of the things that I have going on in my head. As well as use the time that I have while I'm driving because my life is kind of busy right now. And so to find actual time to sit down and record the podcast has been a little challenging. So I'm grateful for technology and the opportunity that I have to share with you some thoughts today. So I wanted to share um, something that happened a couple weeks ago to me and, uh, and then kind of make an analogy for that into our general lives in recovery. So a few weekends ago, um, in a city close to where I live, there was a hot air balloon festival. And I have always wanted to go to one of those. I've always wanted to go and see the hot air balloons, like, take off and and the whole thing. And I just really wanted to be a part of that and see it. So I looked it up. I knew it was coming. And I invited my nieces and nephews that live close by um, to see if they wanted to go with me. So there I brought five of my nieces and nephews with me and... And we had a really great time. We had to get up super early because hot air balloons can only take off. I didn't know this, but hot air balloons can only take off if there is no wind, right, on the ground. They can have wind in the air, but there's no wind on the ground. They need to have no wind. And so the best time to do that is right before the sun comes up or right as the sun is coming up. So I dragged these kids out of bed at about 5.15 in the morning packed them up and we drove about the 30 minutes to get there and we set up our our little camp um our blanket and chairs and I brought some yogurt and things for breakfast and thankfully there was like a playground there and so the kids could play while they got all the hot air balloons kind of situated I wanted to make sure we got a good seat so I took them down pretty early because that's how I am I like to be on time which to me is early so anyway we went down we had a really great morning. There was, uh, they had some of those inflatable like slides and things that the kids could play on. There was a donut company there that was giving free donuts out to everyone. And there was, um, as, oh, there was a playground and there was also a balloon vendor giving away free helium balloons. And then as every single uh, balloon took off, they would just like dump candy out of the basket, kind of throw it out, prizes, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and they would, they would throw them out and all the kids would chase them and try to collect it. And so we, I just, I had a really great time. We were literally like just two or three feet away from these huge balloons as they blew them up. And, um, it was really fun. It was really fun to, to be there with my nieces and nephews and to watch. I had a really, really great time. Now, as we were packing up to go home, one of my nieces, she had a pink helium balloon and she had tied it to my camping chair. 
And so I was trying to untie it so that she could take it with her. And, uh, and in the midst of that, you know, trying to untie it and everything like that, right as I untied it, I just like let it go accidentally. My hand, I moved my hand that was holding it to help me untie and didn't really think about it. And it was gone. Like wind had picked up and it was gone. And she was sad. She was so sad. She's five years old and she was so, so sad. Now this particular niece, I have a special spot in my heart for because we're birthday buddies. Our birthdays are the same day. And I'm I could not be more happy about that because it's just fun to have a birthday buddy and to have our birthdays on the same day. So anyway, I was really, really devastated and sad for her. And I felt really bad because I had, I had was the one that let the air balloon go. So I picked her up and calmed her down and tried to go find the vendor to see if we could get another air balloon, but a helium balloon, but he was already gone. So we walked back and I said, okay, so when we get back to the house, I'll take you to the dollar store and we'll get a balloon for you because I, you know, I let it go and I, and I want to make sure that you have a balloon. And she, she accepted that. She was like, okay, that, that will work. So we packed up all the rest of our stuff, our blankets, our food, our candy, everything like that. We got in the car and we drove back to the house. Now at the house, you know, three of my nieces and nephews had to go to swim lessons. So they rushed off to swim lessons and then it was just me and, uh, my niece who needed a balloon and her brother, her brother was there too. That's right. So he's an important part of that story. So her brother was there, her older brother, he's about nine and, uh, and then my niece who's about five. So it was just us and my mom. So my nephew wanted to play on, uh, play Minecraft on the, on the device. So he stayed with my mom and played Minecraft and I took my niece to the dollar store to get a balloon and we had a really good time. Put her in my car, drove over, we laughed and giggled and sang and told jokes. Five-year-old jokes are pretty hilarious by the way. So especially when she makes them up herself. Yeah, that was pretty funny. So we drive over to the dollar store and we get a balloon at the dollar store. And she, of course, it was kind of dramatic because the one she wanted, they didn't have. And then she wanted this one. They didn't have that one. And so finally we decided on a Disney princess balloon. And so she got that balloon and I got an orange star because orange is my favorite color. And, uh, and then we left and we walked out to the car and it was super windy. And so we were trying to hold on to our balloons really tight and we just had a really great time. We drove back to the house. When we got back to the house, her older brother, who's nine, he came up to me and gave me a really big hug and just said, thank you so much for taking her to the dollar store to get her a balloon. And I thought, well, I said I would do that. Of course I would take her to the dollar store. Like I said, I would do that. And he proceeded to tell me that these are his words. Adults are not to be trusted. And he proceeded to give me four or five examples of how his parents or other adults in his life have told him that they would do something or that they would go somewhere or that something would happen. And then it never happened. He gave me two examples from just that morning, not from me, but from my sister-in-law that was, uh, that had come with us and just a few other things. And he gave me examples from his dad. He gave me examples from his mom. He gave me examples where adults had said that they would do something 
and they wouldn't, and they didn't do it. And as I sat there for a second, so let that sit in for a second. So this is a nine-year-old boy who's telling me that adults are not to be trusted. And as I was sitting there kind of talking to him and just explaining that, uh, you know, sometimes we forget things as adults and, and that whole thing, I, my heart inside was just crushing. It was just breaking because for two reasons, one, he's nine and he doesn't know everything that he needs to know in order to navigate life. He doesn't know anything, everything that he needs to know at all. I mean, he's only nine. I'm 41 and I don't know everything I need to know. And to go into the world with that mindset that adults are not to be trusted, it made me so, so sad for him because he needs a lot of information still. He still needs a lot of knowledge. He still needs a lot of experience. He still needs a guide to get through life. And he is already at nine years old of the mindset that adults are not to be trusted. And I think what hurt even more than just the sadness I felt for him was the familiarity of that feeling. I knew at nine that adults were not to be trusted. I knew at nine that I would not get all the information that I needed, that adults withhold information, or they only gave me part of the information, or they just flat out lied to me about things. I knew that feeling. I knew that adults were not to be trusted, and I knew that from a very young age. And that familiarity, seeing that from someone else's perspective, and recognizing that that was my own lived experience, but here I was also just watching someone deal with that, was incredibly painful. Because it's one thing, you know, I'm an adult looking back and saying, okay, like, I can see why, and I can kind of talk myself through things. It's a whole nother thing when it's you're watching someone that you love go through that same experience and it was really really difficult for me to sit there with him and just I didn't want to justify I didn't want to rationalize it away I didn't want to crazy make him and tell him that that's not true because I had witnessed what he had witnessed that morning and knew that my sister-in-law had made a promise and then didn't even give it a second thought I also knew from an adult perspective that sometimes we say things to kids that we intend not to follow through on. We're just trying to calm them down. We're just trying to placate them. We're just trying, and I don't think we do it with bad intentions. I don't think we do it maliciously at all, but I think we do it just to try to defuse the situation, de-escalate the situation. And, and I was sitting there witnessing the repercussions and consequences of that. So I sat there with my nephew for a little while, and we talked about it, and uh, I explained that, 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 that he was right, that not all adults can be trusted, and that even those we love will sometimes let us down, or will sometimes say things that they don't follow through on. And I explained that it's, it's, a, it's a, all right and it's appropriate for him to call them out on that and to tell that people how he feels just like he did with me that day when he came up and gave me a hug and said that he was so grateful that I took his sister to get a balloon because I think even at nine he's feeling the pressure to protect his little sister from this reality that he has discovered and that he has decided that adults cannot be trusted 
we had a really great conversation. It was really difficult for me because I, I love this. He's not mine, but I love this little boy so much. And I was really sad that that's how he felt. And then we went on about our day and things were fine. And as I was driving home that day from visiting with them and my mom and my family, I had a really, a really, a, a really great moment of, of gratitude because he's nine and I've been in recovery now. Well, this summer it will be six years that I've been in recovery. So I was really little when he, uh, when I, he was really little, not me. He was really little when I started this recovery process and prior to recovery, I would be one of those adults. I would be one of those adults that could not be trusted. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself to keep promises I made to myself or to God or to any other human being. I made promises all the time that I did not keep little ones. Things like, yeah, I'll send that to you. Sure, I'll get you that email. And then I don't get it for three or four days or until they remind me. Or, yeah, I'll pick that up and then I don't. Or, yeah, that check's in the mail and it's not. I... I would make those promises and those statements that were just not true. I mean, they were just flat out lies. And when I got into recovery, I started to recognize that I was making those statements with no intention of actually following through on them. I started to really see the depth of my deceit to myself and to other people. And I've worked really, really hard to not be that way. I'm still not perfect at it. I still sometimes make promises that I don't follow through on, but I, I'm light years ahead of where I used to be, light years. And it took a lot of work and a lot of time. But as I was driving home and reflecting on that, I just was so grateful because I hope that one day when my nephew needs an adult to trust, he'll remember that I took his little sister to get a balloon. And he'll remember that he has a few adults that he can trust. That he's not alone in this journey. Because I felt alone for so long. Not knowing who to trust. Not knowing how to get the information I needed. I was so lonely and so alone. Because I felt like adults could not be trusted. So that, that's what happened to me. And that was kind of that experience that I had where I was just so grateful. So grateful that that is not my life anymore. Now, I'm not perfect at it. And some of you that I know personally that might be listening to this might be like, well, she told me this and she didn't send it to me. That's that's true. I'm, I'm not perfect at it. I am getting better and I'm trying really hard to get better every day. Um, but I'm not perfect at it. So I wanted to also share with you how, how do we get better at that? How do we get better at being honest and keeping our commitments? And I wanted to focus today just on keeping our commitments. How do we get better at keeping our commitments? So this is kind of how I did it. And uh, hopefully maybe you can find some value in that and maybe use some of these strategies yourself. So the first thing I started doing was writing them down. I wrote down, I would make a, if I made a commitment to someone, I told myself, I made a promise to myself that I would write it down. So 
I bought these little like half index cards. They're just like little square cards. And I started keeping them in my purse. And every time I would make a commitment, I would write it down. Even if it was like, I will email you, blah, 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 or I will send this, or I will do that, or the one I'm most famous for never doing is I'll call you tomorrow, or I'll call you later, and then never calling. And so I, I mean, just little commitments like that. I started writing every single one of them down. And that was the first step I took towards keeping the commitments was writing them down. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it, writing them down wasn't enough. And I would even say to people, if I don't write this down, I won't do it, right? And so I would pull out my card and I would write it down. Eventually, cards didn't work for me because they would get lost in my purse. And so I started keeping just a little notebook. So I have a little notebook in my purse. I still have it to this day. And if I make commitments that I am concerned about keeping or that I need to remember, I will write them down. So I'll write them down. And that was my first step that I took towards keeping my commitments was writing them down. Now, writing them down wasn't enough because it also meant I had to go and look at them and check them, right? And I had to do that on a regular basis. And there would be nights when I would get in bed and I'd be like, oh, I didn't check my notebook and I don't care. And I wouldn't do it and I would go to sleep. And it was difficult to discipline myself to check my commitments, make sure that I did them. If I was super tired and I just didn't want to do them, there were some days I just didn't do them. I'd just be like, I don't want to. I would check them and I would still be like, no, I'm too tired. Like, I don't want to do these things. And so I wouldn't do them. And it took a lot of work, a lot of discipline to be able to say, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do them. I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to make it happen. So I had to get into the habit of checking what I wrote down, checking them, working on them, and then making them happen. That was kind of the first step that I took towards keeping my commitments. Again, I'm not perfect at this. It's something I'm still working on. The next step I started to do was set phone reminders. So if I told someone that I would call them, I would set like an alarm on my phone at the time I was going to call them so that there would be some accountability on my piece, on my part. My phone would ring and it would say, oh yeah, you're going to call Lucy or you're going to call Mark or whatever the deal is. And I would call those people because my phone would go off and remind me. And sometimes I had to do that for even little things like I'm going to send an email to so-and-so with their step assignment and I would have to set an alarm on my phone to make it happen. And, uh, and it was difficult. It was difficult for me to like just come to terms with the fact that I don't keep commitments and understanding how detrimental that is to my own recovery and my own, um, healing. And so I've had to discipline myself to do it. I'm still working on it, guys. I'm not perfect at this, like I said. And it's something I'm still working on, but I'm trying to do better. The other thing I had to really change when I started doing this was being more realistic about my own timeline, about what I was capable of doing, about my abilities and my skills. Because a lot of times I would, I would over promise. I would say things like, yeah, I'll get that done by Friday. And I knew I wouldn't get it done by Friday or I didn't have enough time between now and Friday to get that done. 
Um, and I, but I would promise things. I would say like, yeah, I'll get that done. I'll get that to you by this date. I will finish it by this date. And I had this broken history of over promising and under delivering. Um, and so that was something I also had to like really, really think about when I would make commitments. I also started to notice that there were areas of my life where I always kept commitments and there were areas of my life where I never kept commitments. That was really difficult for me too, to recognize the incongruity across the different areas of my life. For instance, at work, I very, very rarely would um, miss a deadline or miss a commitment. It was the exception, not the rule. But in my personal life, it was the rule and not the and not the exception. I would always miss deadlines and so or miss commitments. And, and so I had to really start to examine and look at the disparity among the different areas of my life. Um, in some relationships with some friends, I was better than others. And I had to really examine my motives. Why? Why in this particular friendship am I more willing to keep my commitments? In this particular friendship, I'm not. That was difficult too because it made me really examine like why I spend so much time with these people, why some of my, what I considered my best friends or my closest friends or the friends I trusted the most, why I would not keep commitments to them. And, and so it was really difficult to kind of go through that process and really look at the incongruity going on between different, um, different areas of my life. So it was, it's been a, it's been a rough journey. It's been a rough journey. However, it's worth it's worth it. Like the journey is worth it because of this hug I got from my little 9-year-old nephew who says, "Thanks for keeping your commitment." Right? Like I I've probably been one of those adults um with most children for my life where I do not keep commitments. And it's something I am sad about. It's something that I have grieved in my life. And it's something that I'm working on for sure because I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be the kind of person that doesn't, that disappoints children or that disappoints people because of my own, um, because of things within my own control. Because I, I can control this. This is one of the things I can control. Oh, one more thing I've also, sorry, I'm driving, you know, so my thoughts are a little scattered, but one of the things I also wanted to say is along this journey was learning responsible ownership of when I miss my deadlines. So if I know I'm not going to meet a deadline, one of the hardest things I, I, uh, one of the things that's so hard for me is to reach out to people and say, Hey, I overestimated the number of hours this was going to take. I'm not going to get it done on this time. Or to say, I know I was going to send you that to you tonight, but it's not going to happen. Just be responsible with the commitments that I made. That That's really hard because I hate disappointing people because I'm a people pleaser and because I don't always want to say like, I didn't do this or I didn't schedule right or I, I don't want people to see that I'm not perfect, right? <laughs> that's my perfectionism. I mean, this like whole keep my commitments thing hits on all my character defects. Uh, my procrastination, my perfectionism, my people pleasing, like it hits all of those character defects and it makes it really difficult. And so 
Also, the other thing that I really had to focus on and learn through this process is responsible ownership, is really saying, I made the commitment, so if I'm not going to keep it, I need to reach out, apologize, and give a new deadline. Or if I'm not going to meet it, or I'm not going to keep it, then I, you know, I need to inform these people and I need to take responsibility of that. I need to do it in a responsible, accountable way. So that was difficult too. All of these things are part of that process. Um, learning to, first of all, understand when you're making commitments, understand your scheduling, you know, not over committing things that you can and cannot do. Also understanding, Sorry, I just needed to make a turn there. Okay, sorry. So also understanding, you know, taking responsible ownership of those commitments and then delivering. And I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful that I've gone through that process. I'm grateful that I'm getting better at it. Again, I'm not perfect, but I'm getting better at it. And this is an example of that in my life. Now, my challenge to you today to end this episode is to really think about how you need to change your commitment process. When you commit to other people, are you doing it in a way that is going to be helpful for them and for you? And then to really look at the children in your life, wherever, whoever, however they are, and really focus on making sure that we start to keep our commitments. Because that is a generational issue. I didn't feel like my parents kept their commitments. I didn't feel like my the parents my parents could be trusted as I was growing up. And and to watch that happen again, to watch that happen to my nephew makes me really sad. This is a generational thing because I know that my mom felt like her parents could not be trusted. In fact, my grandparents kept addict, addiction secrets. I have a grandmother who smoked cigarettes her entire life but she kept it hidden from all of us I didn't know until she was diagnosed with emphysema and then even even then diagnosed with emphysema the only way you can get emphysema is by smoking and uh, and even then she said I don't know how I did this because I don't smoke and my mom my grandma was a smoker my mom knew my grandma was a smoker and she lived this dual life and And so this is a generational thing, guys. When we don't keep our commitments, it's a learned behavior. It's something that we learn, and it's something that that we can stop. We can break that cycle. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that I have to break that cycle and to work on it and to be conscious and aware of it and to really change. So that's my challenge today. Look at your commitments. See what you're doing. See how you're making commitments, not making commitments, see how you're keeping or not keeping commitments and look at it really, really honestly. And then make some goals, make some changes, decide I'm going to do this differently. And it's going to take a while guys, cause I'm six years in and I'm still working on it. It will take a while. And that is totally, totally okay. And, uh, and so I hope that you can, can do that today. So as always, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you remember that no matter where you are in your life right now, no matter whether you're making commitments, not making commitments, keeping, not making, not keeping commitments, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, you are 100% worth recovery. 
You're worth it just because you are alive. You're worth it just because you've survived this far in the trauma that's been your life. And because of that, you are worth recovery. And if you don't believe that, then just rely on my knowledge because I 100% believe that. So stay in the struggle, stay in the fight. I want you to know that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy.